Well, today is uh, October the 6th, and we are discussing uh, Lesson 6 of, uh, of Matthew. Let's uh, open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we do thank you for this book that you have prepared for us. We thank you for all of Scripture, which teaches us uh, and shows us uh, how that you, ha- you have revealed yourself. Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, Matthew, because it gives us the particulars, the specifics of our Master Yeshua, and Father, the revelation of uh, Emmanuel. Father, we ask that you might uh, open for us your word this morning. In Yeshua's name, Amen. This is from uh, the morning prayer service. Um, this is from Donning to Fillin. Uh, uh, if you know about wrapping uh, the weak arm, uh, right-handed men wrap the left arm, and uh, left-handed men wrap the right arm, and also the, uh, the leather, small leather box that goes on the forehead. Uh, this is what you read as you wrap the last portion around your uh, ring finger, which uh, the Hebrew ring finger is the middle finger. I betroth you to me forever, and I betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, kindness, and mercy. I will betroth you to me with fidelity, and you shall know the Lord. And um, there's seven times it's wrapped around the lower arm, and the seven times represent that same seven times that the bride walks around the bridegroom. Uh, that actually is from Hosea, uh, I think it's chapter 2, where, uh, um, and it is seen, the, the wearing of, of tefillin, or frontlets as we say in, in English, the wearing of tefillin is actually a, um, is seen as a betrothal. Uh, as it were, a wedding ring. So the wedding ring of of uh, of the righteous is traditionally seen as something that uh, obviously would be kind of foreign to a lot of people. But um, what I've written on the board here is uh, uh, tzedek. Anybody know what tzedek is? Yeah, righteousness. Yeah, yeah, righteousness. Uh, let's go to First Peter 1. You don't have to turn to it. It's on your outline. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua, Messiah. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the, lust, to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. First Peter one thirteen through fifteen. As he is holy, be holy. That is that is actually uh, I think there's five or six places in the apostolic scriptures where it quotes from Levit- Leviticus chapter eleven. And actually Leviticus uh, chapter eleven forty four is not the only place it says it either. It says it multiple places in the in the Torah. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Matthew uh, 5.48, and this is Yeshua speaking. This is what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, wow. I mean, can you be holy? That's true, but how else can you be holy? Now, we're going to look at it a little bit here today, so I'm, I, I don't want to preempt it, but the point here is that uh, holiness is not the same thing as sinlessness. Can you be holy? Absolutely. Um, one of the prayers, one of the blessings that you, uh, that you make before you fulfill a commandment, a commandment such as uh, waiting the lulav last, uh, last Shabbat, uh, sitting in a sukkah, uh, would go something along the lines of, uh, Blessed art thou, 
Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments, makes us holy, that's the same word, sanctifies us with his commandments, and has commanded us to Meshev Basuka, to dwell in a sukkah, or to uh, um, uh, take up the lulav, or the lulavim, the waving of the lulavs. It is a commandment. Leviticus 23, y'all fulfilled the commandment last week. Um, the, waving of the, the waving of the lulav sanctified us in his commandments. How is it that we're sanctified? How are we made holy in the commandments of God? Set apart from the people that see that's no attention. And see, most people hear that, and they, if they, especially if they come from a traditional Christian background, they go, "God's commandments could never make us holy." Absolutely, they can. In fact, if you look in the scriptures, it's repeated again and again and again. In fact, you can't get away from it. And just guess what? Peter just said the same thing. Be holy in all of your conduct. What kind of conduct? The conduct that sets us apart. That's right. Makes us different. Holiness is different, is a difference, a difference from man. Um, what we've been looking at in the last, well, it's been a couple of weeks, um, but what we've been looking at is the Sermon on the Mount specifically. And Yeshua, going up on the mountain, teaching his disciples, we, we have seen and we understand that Yeshua is not teaching a new law. This is a traditional view is that this, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, going through Matthew chapter 7, is in fact Yeshua taking the eternal standard, actually the traditional view would not say that, taking the old law and showing the Jewish people how foolish it was to be trying to gain their own righteousness by keeping the old law. And by keeping the old law, they're actually, they're actually uh, moving away from God instead of closer to him. Uh, of course, uh, the same people would have no problems at all telling you that there's a new law, and the new law is actually harder to keep. So the very argument that they shouldn't be keeping the old law is, 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 is negated and, and moot, in my view. Uh, in fact, it makes it very silly. Uh, is it harder to say, love your neighbor as yourself? That's the new law. Uh, love, love God? Actually, that's the new law. Well, wait a minute. Those are the old law, aren't they? And what we understand is we understand that, that uh, obeying God is not difficult. It's not. People say that it is, but it's not. Go to First John. People say it's impossible. Well, what they do is they say, okay, you can keep it in part, but the minute you break any of it, you've broken all of it. That's what James says. Well, actually, that's what the Torah says too. Um, it's not about perfection in the sense of being sinless, and we're going to look at that in a second. It's not. In the, it's not being sinless. Instead, it is speaking about. Being obedient. Does a child who obeys you sometimes more pleasing to you, more in tune with you, more in a good relationship with you than a child who never obeys you? Or because they refuse to say, no, no, if I obey you, you might think that I'm trying to earn your love. I mean, that's just silly when you think about it. Why is God, why do we have relationships with God that are defined anything differently? He's given us these relationships on earth to help us to understand how it is that we can have this supreme relationship with him. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know the love that, that we love the children of God. Do you want to know, do I love my brother? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I give you a new commandment. Love each other, love your brother as I love you. Well, 
it is it's, it's not really a new commandment it's a new commandment but it's not really a new commandment because actually it is it is encapsulated in the as people would recall it the old law but how do I know if I love my brother and here's how I know you keep his commandments when we love God we keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter chapter 10 of, of Romans and he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 it's not in heaven where you can't go to get it it's not under the earth it's here right here where you can see it and you can obtain it it's near and close in your very mouth that you may do it so what he says is his commandments are not burdensome I would offer go to Acts chapter 15 real quick oh man we're thinking alike James I like it I would offer that anybody that understands Acts 15 differently has a problem with Peter Peter in Acts chapter 15 says now they're having this dispute now, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses uh, I, don't, I don't you know we can't be sure what the custom of Moses is but it's not the uh, commandment of the eighth day <laughs> um, because obviously these people are older than eight days uh, so uh, it's, it's speaking of conversions uh, ritual conversion most likely uh, but but Peter standing up and if i got to find out where it is here Seven. Seven. Which verse is that? Yeah. Seven. Seven. And as Peter speaking, when they and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God ch- chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of of the gospel and believe we learned of that back in Acts chapter uh, 10 and 11 so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us and made no distinction between us and them speaking of Gentiles purifying their heart by faith uh, now therefore why do you test God by putting on the, the yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear now there are many who would say that's the Torah that's the commandments of God they're a, they're a yoke about our neck um, start at the very beginning and read all 613 commandments if you dare and try and find one that's a burden they're a blessing. Every one of them is a blessing. Why? Because they are the they're penned by the by the hand of Moses, but they're words of the Almighty Creator who know what's best for us and who loves us, who cherishes us and wants us to be like him. Rick, it seems that it was man That's what we saw in the first chapter of Matthew or the first chapter of the, uh, the, of the Sermon on Mount Matthew chapter 5 specifically not him undoing this is what is traditionally understood he's undoing the old law giving a new law but rather if you're careful you discover not only is he not undoing it what he's doing is he's, he's, he's going and he's, he's making it stand up making it reveal what, it, what God always meant it to be uh, when he says do not hate your enemy right actually you have heard you've heard hate your enemy do good you know you know love your love your friends hate your enemy I say to you you know do good to your enemy 
You know, if you look, I'm sorry, my Bible, because I wrote it in there, has a wonderful cross-reference. that actually says, if you see your enemy's donkey, you know, fall down, help it up, that's in the old law. Helping your enemy actually is there as well. So, he is simply saying, understand that this is not ritual religion. This is not merely steps that you go through in order to look like you're a religious. It's an actual way to live. And that's what he is revealing in this Sermon on the Mount. It's a way for his disciples. Remember, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. There are some people listening in. If we're his disciples, we're not just listening in. He's speaking to us. But there's a lot of people read these passages and, and are listening in. Or were there and they were listening in. It doesn't mean anything to them. But to his disciples, this is the way to live. This is the way to live. So he's making it stand up. Go to the end of chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I believe it is, uh, uh, I think it's verse 48 there. And we'll start into this. Yes. Matthew chapter 5, 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the word here is uh, uh, tele, teleos, which is complete or mature. And, and you have a telephone. There was a telegraph. Um, uh, Star Trek, they had a teleporter. <laughs> uh, we, we, from the Greek and then into the Latin, we derive a destination from this very word, destination. To go to where your destination is. Okay, so what we understand this word is uh, is in fact to arrive at the destination. It's to be complete, to be what you're supposed to be, be what you're supposed to be. So he's saying, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's not saying be sinless. Now, has he commanded us to be sinless? No. No. God has never asked the impossible. What was embedded in the old law? A way to deal with sin. Right. So obviously, when James says, "If you don't, if you break one, break a, you know the smallest commandment, you're guilty of all," he's not saying, he's not saying at all that you might as well not even try. It's funny the people who say that we have a new law still don't believe that God wants us to lie because He's not a liar. We're supposed to be like Him, right? We're supposed to be like him. There is, by the way, there is no old law, new law. That is a myth. That is a theological construct. It is rather one standard, God's standard. First Peter 1. We read, it up, uh, we read most of it up there. Go to First Peter 1, if you would, in your Bibles, because it has some additional uh, stuff that I didn't put up there. First Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 13 through 17. I love this passage. It's a great passage. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you in the revelation of Messiah Yeshua. Understand what it's saying. Gird up the loins of your mind, rest fully upon grace. Okay? So it's not talking about working your way into, into God's, God's uh, uh, mercy. It says resting fully on the grace that's been given to you. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. You know better, right? 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, the things that you do. Because it is written, and he's quoting from, uh, among other places, uh, um, Leviticus 11.44a. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Uh, one of those, there's a couple places that's really interesting. This be holy for I am holy. If you go and look up all the references in Leviticus, it's a little bit... Well, it could be disturbing to some people. I hope it's not disturbing to you. Uh, one of the ways that we say that be holy as I am holy is actually what we eat. It actually says it. Right there. Yeah, right, 11. Yeah, yeah be holy. Yeah. Do not be, you know, do not eat abominable things. Uh, if you call, because I am holy, if you call on the Father who is without parti- who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Isn't that interesting? I wonder how many people who claim Messiah as their master and Lord are conducting themselves. They're worried about what they do in fear. Interesting. I, you know, I find it a little disturbing, actually, that our that our right teaching of grace has, in fact, invited people to believe that we God doesn't care what we do. You know, it's just it's amazing to me. That's right. Present your. That's right. That's right. In other words, uh, it, you renew your mind, but it has a. Your, your mind is renewed, but what is the outcome? You have, you know, you have deeds that reflect it. You know, uh, the fact that James uh, didn't belong in the scriptures as far as Martin Luther was concerned because it taught faith without works is dead is just shocking. <laughs> you know, how can you have faith without works? There is no such thing. Absolutely no such thing. Go to Matthew chapter 19. This is, uh, we're going to get back to this later on. We'll get later into Matthew here. But Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse 21. This is Yeshua counseling the rich young ruler, as he's called. Um, in ways maybe that see it, it seems like he's trying to fake him out again. In verse 17, it says uh, he says to him. Actually, verse 16, it says, "Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life?" And Yeshua says, "Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. That is, but one. That is God. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments." Uh, that's just shocking coming from him. And people think he's trying to fake him out. That he's fooling him. See, you can't keep the commandments, so that's not good enough. He doesn't even offer that. If that's the, if that's the explanation, then he doesn't finish it. The guy goes away essentially confused. Because this is how he ends. If you want to be... The young man says, all these things I've, I have kept from youth, what, what do I still lack? And Yeshua said to him, if you want to be perfect... Go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So is he telling everybody they have to sell everything? No, of course not. That's not at all what he's saying. But he does tell this man, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be what you're supposed to be, sell everything and come and follow me. Come follow me. Sell it to who? The poor. Give it to the poor, excuse me. Yeah, I couldn't sell it to them. That wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, John chapter 5, verse, verse 46. Ma'am. 
about it sounds to me as though Jesus was telling this man that he had made good that's very possible, and we're going to look at it in depth. Actually, when we get up to this in, in, in a few weeks in, in uh, part two of uh, Matthew, we're definitely going to look at this passage because it is a, it's a very important passage for our own understanding. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 says, excuse me, John chapter 5, verse 46. John 5, 46, I apologize. Anyone who wants, you know, Moses gets a bad rap. And you've heard me say this before. And I'm going to tell you something. It is shameful. It is shameful that Moses gets a bad rap among anyone. Anyone. Especially among those who read the the Tanakh and understand that the Tanakh is for us. Messianics who give Moses a bad rap should be ashamed of themselves. But anyone who claims... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob needs needs to be ashamed. Because God himself says in in Numbers chapter 12, speaking of Moses, you know, why were you not afraid, speaking of those who had come against him, who questioned Moses' authority, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? We should be fearful of speaking against Moses. But one way that people speak against Moses that is, is, to me, is, is incomprehensible. When they speak of the law of Moses, they imply, not because Scripture calls it the law of Moses, they imply that Moses made it up. Scripture calls it the law of Moses because it is by Moses' hand that we received it. When the Torah goes back into the ark at the end of a Torah reading, when the Torah goes back into the ark, uh, those who are gathered around to hear, to worship God with the reading of the Torah, will raise their pinky, because it's it's rude to point with anything else and point to it and say this is the Torah of Moses that God spoke and Moses wrote down God spoke it it's God's words it's not Moses' words it's God's words now here's what Yeshua says if you believed Moses you would believe me for he wrote about me where? have you read that verse yet? I haven't unless all of it if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Listen to me, y'all. Yeshua is saying right here, if you cannot accept what Moses says, you may have a very difficult time accepting what Jesus says. You will. You may have to make a new one. Well, in, in most cases, it's not That's right. That's right. Yeshua's words, my Bible has them in red. Some people have red, red editions. Yeshua's words are the hardest words in Scripture. They are. Unless you have no problem at all accepting that every word that comes from God's mouth is good and for my benefit. If you have a difficulty believing that any of the Torah commandments are good, if you think they're burdensome, you're going to have problems with Yeshua's red letters. You are. Because they're good. His word is good. He's making his words stand up. He's not tearing down the old. He's establishing that God has spoken and is eternal. That's a powerful thing. That makes this Sermon on the Mount even more powerful for us. Do you understand? It's not just our Constitution that tells us this is a way to live. 
It's a way to live. It's a valuable way. Why? Because it reveals the holiness of God. He's different. He's separate. It reveals the righteousness of God. When the world looks at the sun coming up in the morning and setting at the night, what do they say? Well, it just happened. And what can disprove that? But when they see you obeying God in spite of being persecuted for it, then they go, that's just weird. That's different. That's the key. It's different. That looks different. They can't just explain it away. Right? That's the power of God's commandments to make us different. To make us identify with Him as opposed to this world. And that's His point. How do we do it? Matthew chapter 6. Boy, all of that. We've been going for 30 minutes and we're now finally getting to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Charitable deeds. What are charitable deeds? That sounds very nice. Charity. You know, charity. Right? Kindnesses. Kindnesses, that's good. Anybody have a different word there? Anybody have righteousness? Righteousness. Yes. And in fact, see, this is my own personal view, is that the translators of my New King James are fooling with us. They don't want us to think that we can do righteous deeds. They believe in imputed righteousness, which we talked about. Absolutely correct. We have the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Messiah that cloaks us. There's no question. But we are supposed to do righteous deeds. Yes, we are supposed to have righteousness. And that is exactly what this word is. The Greek word is not charitable deeds. The same word translated other places is translated righteousness. So why not just call it righteousness? When you do your righteousness, you can do righteousness. Plus, another thing, this word charity originally had uh, totally wrapped up in the concept of love and the two concepts have been divorced from one another in modern times. Now charity is something that you can do just because you have to do some daily good deed or to get a tax break or something like that. Charitable deeds here, you can't divorce it from the fact that these deeds are done in love. Let's look at what it says. That's they are done in love. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, but to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet. Wait a minute. A charitable deed may be a good translation if I were to understand this. Because back in the King James days, they actually, you know, 400 years ago, they actually understood this word. And it connected it to the Hebrew understanding of this word, tzedek. Because if I were to tell somebody today, between uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, those ten days of awe, that I was engaged in uh, uh, tzedakah, what would they think? I'm busy doing tzedakah. You guys may have heard this before. What, was this? what is that? It's giving, it's giving money to someone who's in need. That's what it is. Charitable deeds. It's actually, it's actually giving charity. So, uh, even though today, that's a really bad word for us to use here, because it doesn't necessarily uh, equate what we think, that, it, that we can have righteousness, it is, in fact, precisely the way that you would translate it from the Hebrew understanding of this word into the English today. Because it's actually to do something. Tzedekah, from tzedek, is actually to practice righteousness, is actually to give charity. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Giving of alms. Well, is giving of alms good? Comes from two words. Usually in the in the in the in the Tanakh, it's one of two words: Hanan or Chesed, grace and mercy. 
grace and mercy. Not righteousness, interestingly enough. Righteousness is a way that you refer to it. When you give alms in Hebrew, you, you give tzedakah, you give righteousness. One scripture, I have trouble bringing up the references. But in one scripture, I was reading about a feast day and one of the tzedakah that was prescribed was inviting That's right. small families yes. to come to share a meal yes. because they didn't have enough people to share a whole goat That's right. or a lamb. And so they invited people around who would otherwise be outside. There are three tithes prescribed in the Torah, three tithes, and one of the tithes, none of them, by the way, went to temple. None of them went to the temple. Not one. Zero. So, you know, the okay, all the laws done away with except this one tithe. You need to all bring all your money to the church. That is not true. <laughs> because it's a misappropriation of God's work. God's funds is a misappropriation. You give money to build it, absolutely. But that's not tithe. The tithes are to give, be given to the... There's three tithes. The tithes are to be given to Levites, right? In the towns that you live in. Why? Because they have no portion. They have no land. They have no farms. Because what is their job? Their job is to be Levites. That's, that's the deal. Right? Actually, and then, also, to provide for the poor. When it says in Malachi, bring your, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse, that's what it's speaking of. It's for that localized variation of caring for those who don't have anything. Yes, absolutely. What are you supposed to do? Give to the poor. Guess what? That's your, if you want to equate it, I don't, because that, that, is a, that is a temple necessity. But if you want to equate it, that's tithing. How, how, how do I tithe when I bring it to the temple? You do bring it to the temple. But you know what you do with it? You eat it. It's festival time. And that's what you're speaking of. Here, y'all come. Let's have a party. In fact, it even says you can go and buy beer if you want with it. <laughs> and have a party. What? We're supposed to all go to wherever God has placed his name is what it says. And we're supposed to come at these festival times. These three festivals are, are Shavuot, uh, Passover, uh, Pesach, Shavuot, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to come and we're supposed to enjoy ourselves where he has places. Well, it's a different party than the world would have, but you understand. But we're going to invite. We're going to, and, That's the best kind of party we have. And we are going to invite people. It's a feasting That's right. around God's word. That's right. And can you imagine singing the songs of a sense, the great Hallel? As we, as we march up the temple steps, and in Psalm 118, as we come up and we say, Open for me the gates of... Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter in. I mean, that's what we're singing as we're going up to, to have a, a feast before the Lord. I mean, this is a, isn't it a wonderful thing about Messianic, so we know how to have a good time. We know how to dance. We know how to, have a, we know how to eat. We know how to have a good time. Can I ask a question? Yes. Then if they gave money to the Levites, what would you do today? Uh, the, Levites, the Levites are an interesting group because they have nothing else. So that's what we have to provide for. Paul tells us we do have to provide for those who teach us. Absolutely. So but don't call it tithe. Yeah, but don't call it tithe. I mean, call it whatever you want, but don't, don't say it's the tithe. Absolutely. 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 No question about it. Yeah. Do we need to provide for uh, funds to run things? Absolutely. Just don't call it tithe because that's not what it is. It's simply sharing what God's given you with, and rightfully, and even... You have a responsibility 
Uh, it's just not a tied responsibility. Uh, and it's not 10% either. It's 23 and a third percent because there's three of them. And one is every three years. Um, God's mercy, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. God's mercy, mercy motivates him. Look what he does. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. In other words, God responds to need. Do you want to know how you should give alms? How you should give tzedakah? It is response to need. You see a need, you fulfill it. Can I fulfill this need? That's your responsibility. Um, what you observe, others need. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, and James 2 through 15. Actually, go to James real quickly. And these, these are all summing the same thing. James, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 15 uh, does it as well. James 2, 15 through 16. This is the definition. You want to know? Okay. Show me real religion. Show me what's real. Here's the way it's real. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, be filled, and you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Yeah. And the end of chapter 1 says, uh, Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, verse 27, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. To be holy. How did Yeshua provide for the needs of others? We're going to look at it. As we go through the book of Matthew, there's a lot of places he does it. Feeding people out there on a, on a hillside. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. He feeds people. He washes his disciples' feet. You know, he provides for their needs. You know, the idea that somehow spiritual is divorced from physical is just is a lie. <laughs> you know, you know, you really can't minister to somebody and teach them the word if they're if they haven't eaten in many days. You just can't. Alms is about seeing a need and personally acting upon it. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-two. Oh, we're jumping all around, aren't we? Matthew six twenty-two. Says, a lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the darkness that is your is your darkness is is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is not talking about some weird spiritual connection. Some weird I've heard all sorts of weird explanations, you know. You know, all of them use some sort of philosophical nonsense. It is pure and simple, an idiom. It's a Hebrew idiom. And if you, if people knew Hebrew, I, I apologize if a lot of people don't. And, and, you know, maybe I don't know it as well as I should. But if people know Hebrew, they know this. A good eye and an evil eye. In the Talmud, it talks about it all the time. A good eye is someone who's generous. Someone who has a good eye is generous. And someone who has an evil eye is stingy. <laughs> That's all it is. It's using a Hebrew idiom, you know, and there's nothing else to it. You want to you have a good eye? Be generous. That's it. You know, you want to have a bad eye? You want to say darkness? Then be stingy. Isn't that That's right. Actually, people read the Talmud and think it's teaching some sort of hocus pocus and all it's talking about is being, being, <laughs> talking about being, being, uh, being stingy or being, being uh, generous. Prayer. Oh, wait, wait, look at this. We have alms, prayer, and fasting. Boy, those are sort of external, aren't they? Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. 
Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Very interesting to me, that's the first bell. Very interesting to me that it says synagogues there. That's exactly what it says in Hebrew, in Greek rather. It does say synagogues. But not all synagogues in, in apostolic scriptures in English are translated into synagogues. Sometimes it's translated assembly or even church. Uh, they, they, they leave it synagogue here. That's fine. I don't know what they're trying to imply, but they leave a synagogue here. And on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Should you not pray in public? Of course you should pray in public. Is he saying don't pray in public? Of course not. But what does he do say? But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do you know that it is against, it is against law to stand in a window and pray Hebrew Jewish law it's against Jewish law to stand in a window to pray why? because it's obscene prayer is about speaking to God going into his presence speaking to the king why stand in front of a window where others can see you Ah, yeah, Jewish law agrees with Yeshua here this is not a public thing prayer is a private audience with the king and it should be treated that way not to be fake does that mean we can't pray in public absolutely not of course not but what it means is make sure that our prayers are in fact sincere standing before the king and not to be seen by the men and that's the secret to what he says that they may be seen that they may be seen interesting also there he says standing in the synagogue yeah, people like to think about kneeling in prayer. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with kneeling in prayer. But standing is actually is the biblical. Is the biblical unless you're prostrate on the ground. Standing is actually the biblical model. Standing in prayer, with the exception of the Shema, because we sit for that. Because he says when you sit down, standing in prayer. We stand here in congregation. When we say the Shema. Most congregations sit when they say the Shema. Uh, but you stand the rest of the time. Why? Because you're presence of the king <laughs> uh, you don't just lounge around in the presence of the king uh, when you approach the king how do you approach him with fear and trembling you're in the presence of the king and when you have made your petitions before him declared his might and his glory and made his petitions what better what better place to make your petitions when you're standing there having walked into his presence with humility it's, it's, it's precious um, then he gives us this prayer now he says the Gentiles repeat things uh, that is not a statement against liturgical prayer babbling yeah, the Gentiles repeat things this is not a statement against liturgical prayer liturgical prayer is simply the reciting of prayers that have been written down which is the whole book of Psalms because that's what his purpose was. His purpose is a prayer book. It is a prayer book. His purpose was a prayer book. Uh, how is it that we are supposed to, and if you go and read those prayers, some of them are a little bit shocking, but most of them are worship, not petition. How is it that we, he gives us this pattern. This pattern that he gives us is remarkable when you look at this pattern and compare it to a siddur. You read the Lord's Prayer, as Yeshua gives it in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke as well. You, it is remarkably close, and it's patterned very much like most of the Jewish prayers in a, in a Siddur. Uh, when I say Jewish, actually some of them predate even uh, exile 
Babylon. So it's Hebrew prayer, Israelite prayers. Uh, they are they are ancient. Most of them are ancient. Yeshua does not give us a. Uh, this is the only way to pray. What he's doing is he's actually giving us that it's okay to pray liturgically. In fact, it's good. Uh, if you are interested in including, and I do include this liturgical prayer in your prayers, uh, um, usually found within the Shemona Esrei, the standing prayer, the Amidah, uh, usually towards the end, just before uh, praying for the return uh, of the temple, is is an appropriate place to pray uh, our Master's prayer here. Um, go to Acts chapter 10, because we may not have to be able to finish the rest of this. He does say in Matthew chapter 6 we shouldn't fast publicly, we should fast privately. Uh, these are voluntary fasts. Obviously, young people, everybody's fasting, so might as well look like you're fasting. It doesn't really matter. Um, uh, every, he's talking about voluntary fasts in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, he does assume that you will fast. Uh, assuming that you will fast is, is uh, something that is uh, expected, I suppose. Uh, we certainly know that Yom Kippur is not a, it's not a, it's not a choice. It's, it's, it's required. Uh, but Acts chapter 10 gives us this picture of someone who does give alms, praise, and fast. Acts chapter 10, verse um, 2. A devout man, speaking of Cornelius... And one who has feared God and all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And then going to verse uh, 4. And when he observed him, he was afraid, speaking of this angelic messenger, he observed him and he said, What is it, Lord? He said, Your prayers and alms have come up as a, for memorial before God. And then verse 31. <coughs> And, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. He, he sent messengers to Peter, and, and uh, Peter comes back. Uh, your messages, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. You know, people like to think that there's no way that the things that I do matter in the final analysis. There is no righteousness other than the righteousness that's imputed to me. When you stand before the judge of all heaven and earth, and give an account for every word and for every deed. It will matter. Every word and every deed does matter. Will it matter as to whether you enter into life or not? Well, clearly we have an advocate who stands for us and say, he failed in that, but I paid for it because I didn't fail. He was sinful. She was sinful in that, but I was not. And my righteousness, I give to them. But when we stand before the maker of heaven and earth, we will give an account for everything that we say and everything that we do. And we will receive reward for the things that we obey him in. We will. If you don't believe that, then you need to go back and read the Bible. God rewards the the obedient. He does. In fact, we see it again and again in the apostolic scriptures as well that are full of, full of grace, all scriptures full of grace, but teach salvation by grace through faith. There's still a, a, a resounding message. You must obey. And obedience is worthy of reward. And it is about reward, not a reward that we can uh, place in the mantle, an award that we can place on the mantle, but an award a reward that we can cast at his feet because he's, he alone is worthy. And that is, that is what we're talking about. In addition to that, everybody knows it just is better to live in a household when the law's been laid down by daddy and mommy 
It's better. Things go better. You just have a nice life if you just keep the laws that they say. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Listen, it's just better. Are you going to be persecuted for it? Yes. But you're going to reveal the holiness and righteousness of God in the world around you. And without you revealing the righteousness, your little dark corner of the world may remain dark. (laughs) You get to bring the holiness of God into that dark world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Sorry you wouldn't get the rest of these scriptures and if you have time, maybe this afternoon or tomorrow you can go through them. Right. Any, any final comments or questions? Let's close in prayer. Well, That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the end of Ecclesiastes, right? Chapter 12. Oh man, what does the Lord require of you? Obey. That is your duty. Actually, that's that's not that's Micah. Micah says, "What does the Lord require of you?" Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you give us. We thank you that you have called us into a warm and wonderful relationship with you, Father. We know that it is these these little things that we that we do that connect our lives with what we say we believe, and we know that it is these little things that we do uh, are not done to gain your favor but are gained as a response to you. It's as if we are in a uh, walking hand in hand or in a dance where we respond to your words. And Father, we ask that you might teach us how we might respond more faithfully. And Father, how we might give glory and credit to the only one who is righteous, Yeshua. We pray this in all of Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.